Sean Pesh is the founder and chief investment officer of Ranmore. We're going to talk today about a big story that involves Sean himself and his company, which I think is going to make many people in the business tribe very excited. Opens a whole new avenue of opportunity for two of our favorite money managers. And then we're going to also be having a look at some of the latest developments and how Sean manages to actually outperform continuously and, and that's that's now maybe sean and um, when i spoke at the beginning of this month to david bacher um on the korean report in the global funds in the last year best performing global fund by a country mile is the fangs index of signia so it's one of those things you put the money into that it either shoots the lights out or loses half of what you have. The second best performing fund was the uh, Marzi BCI Global Equity Feeder Fund, which did 38.9, edging BCI Ranmore Global Value Fund at 38% in the past year. That's a global value fund. You're not supposed to be achieving these kind of returns. A value fund is supposed to be way behind uh, in this environment that we're looking at. We read so much about it. We, we get these guys doing their analysis on the S&P 500 index and take out the Magnificent Seven, which certainly aren't value companies, and then the rest of the index does so badly. Yet, Sean Pesh's Ranmore gives us a 38% return. What gives? How do you manage this? You know, Alec, look, thanks. That's that's very kind of you. And I did listen to to David and uh yeah, thanks, thank you to him for his kind words. I, interestingly, if you look at if you look at the latest year, okay, the world index up nineteen percent, values only up six and a half, growth's up thirty-two, quality's twenty-seven. But if you look at twenty-two and twenty-three combined, the world index is only up two percent, growth's down three, values up 0.65. Um, and we're up twenty six percent. And I think, I think the the thing is, you know, we have the universe, we have the whole world to pick stocks from. And um, and so I remember the late great Simon Maria. He used to say, all you need to do is find a few great ideas and avoid disasters. And um, I'm pleased to say that we've managed to. Well, I better touch some wood here. Avoid disasters. You know, we we avoided the U.S. banks. Um, we avoided some of the metal and mining companies. I mean, we saw what happened with Anglo-American. A lot of my value peers are in both of those spaces. Um, we've avoided the brands, you know, some of those consumer brands. We see them coming under pressure. I've been writing about that for a while. Um, and then, you know, we've had a small, we, we had lots of little winners. And that is the key thing. You know, you don't want to, what you don't want is you don't want your performance all to be dependent on one thing. Because if if we shot the lights out because we picked NVIDIA, well, and new investors come into our fund. The implied bet is that, you know, we've got to find the next NVIDIA. Otherwise, we can't repeat the performance. But if you get your performance from lots of ideas, we've got a process. We've got a very disciplined process. We run through, we screen stocks. You know, um, we don't we don't have massive chunky positions. We talk about, we say, leave conviction to the convicts. Um, you know, you just have lots of ideas coming through. And so what new investors are doing is they're buying a process. Our process is working. And um, and I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, I woke up this morning to the news that Macy's 
has got a bid for $21. Okay, now in the depths of the October malaise, in fact, we've owned a little bit of Macy's for a while, but in October it got down to crazy prices. It was like three and a half times earnings. And this is, and it's got blooming tails. And, and you go, well, hang on, everyone's prepared to pay, you know, 20 times earnings for luxury products. Here's a department store that sells lots of luxury products, and it's on three and a half times earnings. And its debt's well managed and pretty conservative relative to all the other department stores. We pick it up. So we're buying, this, buying stock at $12 in October. And, you know, this morning it's got a bit of 21 so, um, yeah, so, you know, those kinds of things, when you, when you start doing, yeah, we had Expedia last month that I wrote about our fact sheet. We were buying that in May, you know, it went up 40% last month. And so it's just these stocks coming through our process um, and capitalizing them, capitalizing on them and avoiding disasters. So that's what we do. I mean, I don't know what next year is going to hold, but I know we're going to do the same thing. But, but that's a very good point. So you are my proxy for Simon Marais, which is great. Uh, I don't think you could get a better proxy <laughs> if you like. And I'm sure you're not going to say you're the well, next and Simon Andrew. Marais. <laughs> and Andrew as well. Let's not but forget Andrew. About, Andrew's my Charlie Munger. <laughs> t- tell, tell us about Andrew. Andrew's a top, top guy. And I'm, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing Andrew Lappy. Okay, and I've known Andrews for over what, twenty years. When I was at Orbis and he was at Alan Gray, and um, you know, he was chief investment officer there. He's had money in our fund for many years. Um, and when he retired and left South Africa, uh, you know, we we speak regularly. We used to speak regularly. We speak even more regularly now. Obviously, we see him, you know, every day at two o'clock we have our meeting. Um, and, and one day I said to Andrew, Andrew, look, we speak all the time, you know, you, you taking it easy or whatever, but we speak all the time. Why didn't you join us? And, and so, you know, we kicked the ball around and he did, and he could have gone anywhere. You know, he's an absolute superstar and it's a pleasure working with him. He's a, he's a wonderful man and a brilliant investor. And so I think the two of us work, you know, and, and we've got our team of analysts, but, um, but we have a great dynamic and it's working really well, as you can see. I did say to him, look, you know, this is a free option for you because um, I'm the portfolio manager. So, so I said, the free option for you is that if it goes well, everyone's going to say it's because of you, Andrew. And if it goes badly, it's, you can just say Sean's the portfolio manager. <laughs> <laughs> but but I love what you but said the truth a bit is earlier. probably somewhere in the middle. I love what you said a bit earlier because so often we hear the people saying, well, they have a conviction in U.S. banks. U.S. banks are cheap or uh, as you said, resources, shares. If you're a value investor, you've just got to buy them, supposedly. But as you say, no, it doesn't mean that because a sector seems very cheap that it isn't going to stay cheap. And in fact, uh, everyone talks about bottom-up or finding the companies that are great value, but not everybody does that. Many people would rather go into an exchange-traded fund or not do the work, and clearly you're doing the work. We're doing the work, Alec. You know, you you know, you can get Google, Yahoo Finance, download a stock a list of stocks with low PE ratios, and buy those. That is not the answer. Um, you know, because many of those companies are cheap for a reason. Think about property. If you've got a property next, to, it might be cheap. Yeah, but it must be next to the railway line. It might be next to the highway. It's going to stay cheap, and so we want to avoid those. Um, and I mean, a classic case is British American Tobacco. I think British American tobacco is a massive value trap. And I mean, this is not going to make me any popular, any more popular with some of my South African peers, but the stock's down 24% of the last year. The price is down, uh, I mean, over the last couple of years, 13% 
uh, and the and you've had a little bit of you know some dividends. I mean, the market's up sixty four percent over that period. I think I think they've got thirty eight billion of net debt. You get nine billion a year of cash flow, of which they pay five to um, five to shareholders as dividends. But their their debt repayment is going to be three billion. So, and you just look at this and you go, you know, this is a company. I mean, I don't really like to. We don't like to buy companies that 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 harm their clients. Essentially, that's what British American Tobacco does. And in five years' time, they're going to have arguably fewer clients or fewer customers. Um, because many of them are no longer going to be here, and those that are here are probably going to switch over to vape. So, so you've got this thirty-eight billion uh, sort of drag on the business with the debt because they've got to repay the debt. And how easy is it going to be to refinance that debt? And this cash flow that's um, you know it's possibly shrinking. And if you look at it and you go, well, what's their business model been in recent years? It's been increased prices, increased prices all the time. But now it's got to the point where it's a tough economy. It's hard to pass on increased prices. So volume is accelerating uh, on the downside. You know, it's falling at an accelerating at, at an accelerating rate. And 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 there's an alternative. So eventually you get to that price point, you go, you know what, if you like smoking, well maybe I should try vaping. It's 20% of the cost. So I think that's a I think it's a value trap. And um, and so you've got to be careful. You can't just and that is why active management has a place. Because Passive, what do you just buy the list of stocks that have got low PE ratios? But you know that, as you've seen with British American Tobacco and companies like Anglo American, that doesn't only it doesn't work like that. And so there is a place for active. And we did certainly see that with British American Tobacco in this past couple of weeks, with a drop of nearly ten percent after they wrote yet more off the value of the brands Lucky Strike and Camel, etc. Those those brands that they own. Yeah, it's an interesting point that one because a lot of people. Uh, who are value managers almost feel like they've got to have BAT in their portfolios because everybody else does. Yeah, that's right. And you know that just coming back to that to that ten percent, people say, "Well, look at the dividend yields, ten percent." Well, you lost that on Thursday or Friday or whenever it was. Uh, so in one day, you lost your whole year's dividend yield. So that doesn't help much. But I can go by I can go by AB and Arrow. Their earnings are not falling. I can get a ten percent dividend yield there. So why do I want to go and you know risk it on British American tobacco? And I think the other thing is, you know, the, the pool of investors for these tobacco companies is getting smaller every year. You have to really want to own those things. So how's it going to get a re-rating? They're going to have to buy back the stock, you know, but, but then they don't have to surplus cash because they're already spending it all, the shareholders or, divi- or debt repayments. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting. It's, it's tricky, but you've got to avoid the, the, the disasters. And, I, yeah. Things are not improving for that business. Lots of common sense, but it's not so common when it comes to investing, the sense. But you've, you've done a big deal. Let's talk about that one. Uh, at the BNC 6 in March next year, you're going to be helping uh, people here understand more about the global investment universe, as you have at the last couple of conferences. Also on the stage will be Pete Lyon. Uh, the two of you clearly have known each other for a long time, and now you have done a deal together. Just explain, just unpack the whole thing for us and how it came about. Yeah, thanks, Alex. So, so actually, Pete and I, I'm trying to think how many years ago, probably only known each other for, I don't know, six, seven years, um, in the depths of the value you know, winter 
Pete got hold of me one year and said, look, I'm coming over to the UK. I'm cycling over there. Can I, can I ride out to the office and, uh, and, and have a coffee? I said, Pete, do you know we're out of London? I mean, so it's a bit of a ride. But anyway, we, uh, we, th- we thought we were going to form a value supporters group, you know, to try and emotionally support each other through the, the depths of the, the value, um, you know, winter, should I say. So, and, and from time to time over the years, we've kicked the ideas around as to how we could do something together. Um, the problem is as soon as you, and so we looked at, do we want to merge the funds, but that was a capital gains event for many clients to, to, to where we, we manage the fund, but that increases the admin complexities. And, and we firmly read, we really want, we don't manage segregated accounts here. Okay. So a segregated accounts, we've got a fund and then you manage a pension fund amount on the side. They don't want to come into your fund. We are only interested in. Um, in investors coming into our fund. And the reason for that, Alec, is that it then lowers the fees for everybody else. Because as I've mentioned in the past, um, you have fixed cost element, which is directors and auditors and legal and money laundering risk officers and those guys. And when you're a small fund, those those are quite a burden on your total expense ratio. And so last year, when I was talking about the the balanced funds and the performance fees and all the rest, you know, our fund was small, and so our fees were high because of that fixed component. But our fund has grown since then, and that burden has come down a lot. And so our, you know, our fees are much lower now. Um, and so, and so then, and I've also just to some of the other people within Merchant West, I've known Paul Stewart. I met Paul, and um, we worked together at Old Mutual at the start of my career, and Brian Pyle at the start of my career in Old Mutual. So you've got relationships that go back a long way, and these are good guys. And, and we have a meeting of minds. And so, so Paul got hold of me and said, look, you know, what about if we convert our Guernsey fund into a feeder fund and then that feeds into your fund? I thought, well, that's a brilliant idea because, because you know, that then gives us more scale. So it's a win-win for us. And it's also a win-win for them because, you know, $27 million, you've got that high fee component because of those other costs. And so if we merge the two, that can reduce that. Um and uh, and everybody's a winner. And then the what they're going to do for us, um, as well as part of that deal, is market us to institutions in South Africa, to the asset consultants and the DFMs, etc. We don't have an office on the ground uh, with sales and marketing people over there. Uh, it's certainly a you know UK is a big focus for us, and we've made some huge strides over the last year over here. And so it's a win-win deal. But it's also importantly, it's it's not. There's no shareholding change, no equity deal because that complicates things. You know, all of a sudden, I've got other people telling me what they want to do. They're sitting on my board trying to direct us. It's just not. In, I'm not interested in that. We just stay focused on performance. We do what we do. You do what you do, and we put the two together, and we find a win-win deal. And so that's what people. And so, it's very exciting. So that's really the ba- second leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then basic, the third leg. Sorry, basic stuff on that. Let, let's just products. understand how that yeah, how that basic works. Stuff. Uh, if you are invested in Pitt's global value <laughs> fund, uh, which yeah. is in US dollars, presumably, that is no longer, Pitt's no longer going to manage that. Sean's going to manage that in, in real basic terms. Yeah, like me and the TV. Yeah. Okay. And then, That's right. But, but you still put your money into the Merchant West global uh, value fund. It's just that that yeah. money will no longer be allocated to shares that picked will pick. It'll go, as you say, as a feeder. That'll go straight into the Ranmore fund. Is that right? That's right. That's quite the right. one that 
the one that did 38% in the past year. Yeah, that's the one. So it's and all, we've got all the money in one pot, mm. nice and simple. And what happens <clears throat> if it doesn't do, you know, if it does 3% next year, uh, will, will, it, will it swap? Will they take that money and give it to another fund? You know, we look, I, it's a bit like you're in relationships because you want to be in relationships. If the relationship doesn't work then it, and investors are unhappy, you know, we just, this is what we're going to do. This is how we work. We have same philosophy, same process or whatever. Um, and, uh, and so if it doesn't work for them down the line, well, they can switch, but I don't see that that's uh, a likely bit, but I'm not, you know, it, we think this is a good solution for everybody. But, but I'm still trying to understand why. Is it because you, you trust each other? Is it because you, particularly for you and Pitt, because people have put money in there because they believe in Pitt? Is it because it's easy enough for Pitt to say, hey, Sean's just like me? I, look, I think it's a benefit for everybody. And it's a benefit for the clients because they're getting exposure to a team. You know, we've got a, eight of us now focused purely offshore. Um, and so that just helps Merchant West focus on the local market. We focused offshore and, and that's happening. So you've got a, a focus team offshore at a lower cost solution. You know, it's a win-win for everybody. And, and you know, uh, so... Uh, so it's extremely positive, and and I think um, I think it'll be. It's not like Pete's giving. You know, we've got a meeting of minds. We speak regularly. We share the same investment philosophy. So there's no change to that. Um, it's not like we're doing something completely different to what you know Pete is uh, has done. Um, but uh, it's that makes um, sense. Yeah, that that so those makes are the a lot of sense. Really? What you've just said now, because it's they would have invested in that fund because of a belief. In the process that would be followed by Pit Fulion, who also did come from Alan Gray many years ago as well. It seems like the Alan Gray uh, guys have got a bit of a culture, maybe a bit of a cult uh, that you've you followed um, and and you repeat, rinse and repeat. But it's it's it, the way you explained the process in the beginning and the way that your performance is is uh, is reflecting it is not going to be a very difficult thing to sell, but. I know being uh, being ran more being based outside of South Africa, you you are away from South Africa. It can't be that easy in getting yourself known amongst potential investors in South, in this country by aligning or partnering in this way with Merchant West. Is that going to open up new doors? I think so. I think it will definitely open up new doors. I think a lot of the you know one of the concerns which has kept a lot of people away from us is that wolf. They don't, they don't have a big fund. Are they going to be around? Are they going to survive, etc.? I mean, if we've survived the debts of the value winter, trust me, we're going to definitely survive. Um, but this gives us more scale. It we don't have to pay for marketing. It, it, you know, we don't have to pay for feet on the ground in South Africa. So it gives us more scale, puts us in more radar screens. We've got people out there telling uh, our story to just to, to those who don't know. And um, and hopefully it opens up a new channel because there's quite a lot of inertia in South Africa in terms of you know the funds and you've seen that with uh, with with some of the, the big funds just stay big and people are not moving to the boutiques. I think they're moving a little bit. And David Bach in the Corrie report highlights that 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 some of the money is flowing to the boutiques, but but not masses. So there's a huge opportunity. Uh, there really is, um, and so we're really excited about it. And what? What more can you do? 
Are you thinking about maybe doing a joint fund? I'd quite like to invest in a in a pit stroke Sean fund, one South African, one international. You know, Alec, I think that's yeah. Paul and I have had discussions and Pete, and uh it's early days, so let's see. But but one of the ideas could be a global value balanced fund. Okay. So balanced funds, you look at the largest funds in South Africa, they're balanced funds. And 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 look at the fee structures, they're expensive. And it surprises me that more people don't create their own balanced funds because what is a balanced fund? It's got equity, local equity, offshore equity, and fixed income. But fixed income is really cheap. So if you go and take those components and you say, well, I'll create my own balanced fund, I'll buy you know, local fixed income at really or and offshore fixed income at really low rates, and then I'll and I'll have some offshore equity and some local equity, you can get it much cheaper. Than if you pay it, pay for it via a balanced fund. Um, so but wait, but what's, balanced what's funds holding are you back? Sells. What's holding you back on that? Because the well, way you've explained it now, I mean, it's it's an expensive uh, product at the moment. You've got two trusted names from the investment side. I mean, you can't. Many many people in the business tribe will say, "Gee, if I could give money, if I could get Sean working for me offshore and Pete working for me in South Africa, add a little bit of of fixed in." income, that'll be an ideal. And I can get it cheaper than what's around now. It'll be an ideal opportunity. So what's holding you guys back? Well, exactly, Alec. That's exact that's exactly what we got to do. And we're not going to charge performance fees and we're going to be a low cost solution. And you know, merchant waste do the local uh, equity, local fixed income. We do the offshore e- equity. And in fact, if you look around the world, fixed income, you know, a lot of people, uh, we had some clients who redeemed from our fund to take it back to South Africa because fixed income was so attractive. So emerging market fixed income is often, often quite attractive and has certainly beaten offshore fixing, fixed income in recent years. So so that's that's where that's where the opportunity is. So it could be it could be really exciting. Shake things up a little bit. Sean Pesh from Ranmore Fund Management and I'm Alec Hogg from Biznews.com. <laughs>